Om Young Wisuk, just last week, marked the final days leading up to the trade deadline for this NBA season. We had the Knicks getting better, the Suns made a move, but nothing really moved the needle in a big way like we've seen in previous years. Transaction Twitter was very dormant. Why is that? I think a lot of teams were concerned about the punitive terms that they would have to face next season, especially for teams like the Clippers, who were going to be on that second apron, who are tax-paying teams. If you were to take on anybody and any money this year and have that on for next year, uh, you really could be stuck. Um, You had to really be, I think, extra cautious at this trade deadline of what you were going to take on. But I think this this year, you, what you saw was a lot more trades happening before the deadline. Like in the Clippers sense, their big trade was back in November yeah. when they got James Harden. That was their mega trade. The Knicks were very busy at the trade deadline, but they did trade for OG and Anobi earlier. There were just other trades that happened, I think, a little earlier than the trade deadline. And then I think that's maybe why you just didn't see as busy or as sexy of a trade deadline this year. But... I think for for the fans, obviously, they they kind of wanted, you know, they wanted a lot of Woj bombs. And I think I read somewhere the statistics were like Woj had like eleven bombs or something like that. And I and I think they wanted, you know, they want atomic bombs. We not only have transaction Twitter, we have Statcast for transaction Twitter again. Back to what you've actually written about, though, Ohm. Not the impact that these moves make on the court or around the league, but actually on the humans, the people themselves involved in these deals. It's quite easy for us to think of these guys as millionaires and assets to rosters. But what did you learn from your reporting? So the, the assignment was basically what do players go through at midseason in a midseason trade that just people don't understand. I think they think that players have everything handled for them. And in many senses, compared to the normal human being, I think, yeah, they don't have to worry too much about who's paying for their move and who's kind of like, managing it and handling it. But there is like a a big, big sense of like their lives being turned upside down. Once they find out about a trade, in many cases, they have 24 to 48 hours to report to that new team, no matter where they are in the country and where the team is in the country. They've got families to have to basically uproot or keep in the same home that they're in, but then they just go and move and be away from their family for, you know, at least a couple months until the season ends. Somebody like Bruce Brown, for example, he's lifting weights uh, at the hotel with the team in Sacramento where they were getting ready to play a game. I think the next night he finds out about the trade and then eight hours later he's on a plane to Indiana because he has to go pick up his passport and his belongings because he's getting ready to go to Toronto. In Mike Conley's standpoint, like he actually, I think when he was traded as part of that three-player deal involving Russell Westbrook, uh, he went from Utah to Minnesota. And he had to explain to his kids the night before as he was putting them down, he pulled out a map to show them where Utah was compared to where Minnesota was and had to tell his three young kids, hey, daddy's going to be living here for a little bit. He's playing with a whole new team. (laughs) 
everyone hopes that the NBA trade deadline is filled with thermonuclear woge bombs that stop us in our tracks. But this year, it all ended with a whimper with most teams standing down. Still, there were enough players on the move, and that leads us to ask some questions. What happens next? What do you do with your family, your pets, and most importantly, your sneakers? And what's next for the teams that did make moves? Are there new title contenders in our midst? So today, Om Young Masuk joins us to break down what's next and the realities of life in the league when you suddenly find yourself shipped out of town. I'm Clinton Yates. It's Tuesday, February 13th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Okay, Om, let's start here. For some listeners who are not necessarily familiar with the ebbs and flows of trades in the NBA, can you explain how all of this works exactly? Uh, I'm not quite Bobby Marks, but I'll (laughs) do my best, um, who is our obviously resident general manager. But for example... Uh, I talked to Josh Hart with the Knicks, who has been traded two times on the trade deadline uh, in a row. And so this past trade deadline would have been his third trade deadline. But he basically was like, I'm good. I'm vibing and I'm relaxing this year because he knew he couldn't be traded. He had signed a four-year, $81 million extension with the Knicks back in August, which means he and any other players assigned these extensions can't be traded within the first six months of a new deal. But, you know, last year, he was actually on the court warming up. It was about 20 minutes before the game started between, I think it was the Blazers and Golden State, you know, when guys are like kind of like in the layup line and stuff. Yeah. And the general manager for the, the Trailblazers walks onto the court, pulls him off the court and says, you've been traded. But this trade was different than the one the year before because this time his wife was carrying twins. I think she was 20 plus weeks pregnant. And so all of a sudden he's like, I'm not really worrying about myself anymore. Last year was a little bit, but more difficult just cause um, wife was, you know, 20 whatever weeks pregnant with twins. So, you know, trying to figure out um, where we're staying, trying to figure out what doctors, what OBGYNs she's going to. Um, you know, just stuff, you know, I got dogs, I got my dogs there. So it's just you know, it a bunch of stuff. He's got to worry about all those things now swirling in his head. And so these are the things that people don't understand when, when a guy's traded like that. But fortunately for Josh Hart and his wife, they had two healthy twins born, I believe, last May or June. I believe their, their names is Hendricks and Hayes. The dogs made it. He bought a house on the Upper West Side. And so, and he's loving life now with the New York Knicks. So it worked out. So, Ohm, if you've been traded, take us through the steps of what happens next for these players. Well, first thing is, wherever you're at, you got to figure out the logistics of getting to that team, passing a physical, 
I mean, we're not even talking about learning the playbook right. and learning your new teammates. These are just like life things that you have to figure out. And um, like I had mentioned earlier with Bruce Brown, he finds out in Sacramento, he's got to get, I think he's on a plane eight hours later, Indiana. He lands in Indiana like 1 a.m. He's packing like three bags of as much warm clothes as possible. Bruce Brown, who, by the way, has a a, a pretty uh, heavy collection of cowboy hats and was not able to bring any one of his 20-plus cowboy hats because I assume those cowboy hats have to go into one of those big protective cases, probably. <laughs> so he wasn't able to take his beloved cowboy hats with him. In many cases, like Bruce Brown, who went to Canada and get a work visa, the Raptors have to basically handle all of that and get that done. In in one case where the other player they acquired, uh, R.J. Barrett from the Knicks, he already is Canadian. He didn't have to get a work visa you know, even though he w- was born and raised and grew up, you know, in Toronto and Mississauga, he didn't have a house there. You know, even though the Raptors put you in like temporary housing, I think, and you have like 45 days to stay there before you find something, it's still like pretty nerve wracking for somebody like RJ Barrett. It was just a confusing day, you know, emotions. I mean, obviously happy coming here, but then like, you know, felt uh, a little weird being traded from a place that, you know, I had been for four and a half years. So he told me, I love my shoes. And I had to leave all my shoes back in his home in New York. And he left, I think, four French Bulldogs and his cars. And he said, fortunately, my parents, because it's only an eight-hour drive from New York to Toronto, they were able to drive one of my cars and his four French Bulldogs to Canada to be with him. We've seen the megastars in the league seemingly pick the team they want to be traded to. But what about for the other 99% of the league? How much do they control on where and if they are traded? Yeah, so I think that's another thing that a lot of people believe that superstar players or or even most players control their their path and their destiny and where they want to go. Look, just take a look at the Clippers, for example. James Harden, yes, he did finally get traded to the LA Clippers. It took like months. It took like four months for that to happen. But for a guy like P.J. Tucker... He has no control over where he goes. He's been traded multiple times. This trade deadline, he even told me he was actively looking to be traded and let the Clippers know he wanted to be traded. And I'm sure there were teams and contenders out there that could use a P.J. Tucker like a Phoenix or Milwaukee, you know, a veteran who could defend and is going to be tough and an enforcer. But the Clippers couldn't find someone who was willing to trade for his $11 million contract. And I was like, when you were traded with the James Harden deal in November, I said, well, you, at least you knew it was coming, right? Because James had asked for a trade for months. And he was like, he's like, you don't understand. When, when you're traded, you never get used to it. You never know it's coming. And you never, like, it's not something you ever, ever get used to. And the other element to him, though, that is different than, than almost every player is that P.J. Tucker is the sneaker king of the NBA. I'm glad you brought that up, Ohm. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm looking (laughs) into your room right now where you have various sneakers in the background. Some people think P.J. Tucker would be better served working at a sneaker store, but that's a different discussion. How does he maintain all of the fresh kicks moving all around the country like this? Uh, Clinton, there are sneaker heads, and then there are sneaker kings. He is royalty, okay? I don't think it's an exaggeration to say he has thousands of shoes, okay? Most players, when they get traded, and I found this out, 
you know, teams work with the other team, their equipment managers, to ship the shoes that they have at their team facility or the arena that they use that they play in games. Most players, according to Max Riza, who is the head of equipment for the Clippers, uh, they may, on an average, move 20 shoes from team to team. P.J. Tucker had 250 pairs, Clinton, that he was strictly using to play in games, okay? We are not talking about his stockpile of shoes that he wears two games when he does the little fashion walk down the tunnel to the locker room and back. Those shoes reside in between the two homes he has in Houston and Philadelphia. But let's focus on the 250 shoes that must go cross-country now from the moment he finds out at 3 a.m. he's been traded from Philadelphia to Los Angeles. And Max Reza will call his counterparts in Philadelphia the next morning and say, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Let's, let's move this. And so the first thing is you want to get some shoes onto the private jet with P.J. Tucker when he gets on that jet with James Harden to leave from Philadelphia to Los Angeles. I believe it was either late morning or early afternoon. P.J. Tucker has two luggage um, bags that fit 16 pairs of shoes each, which, by the way, I'm very jealous of, and I wish I had one of those. They're just little compartments that you put a pair in each compartment. They got one of those on the private jet with him so that when he arrived to Los Angeles, if something went wrong between the shipments of the other shoes, at least he would have 16 pairs to choose from that he could play in for his first game that he would play with the Clippers. The next thing was the Sixers went and bought 12 or so of the largest boxes they could find, which were probably like, if I think if you're probably like a 5'8 human being or 5'9, the box is probably almost as big as you. And they proceeded to stuff all the shoes in there, pair by pair, but not in individual shoe boxes. They just like crammed all of these pairs into these like shelves. And I'm telling you what's more, even more amazing, Clint, is that for sneakerheads looking at those pictures, and I looked at a lot of the comments, a lot of them were just like, look at these pairs, this one pair. I think somebody said, look at these pair of MMs just sitting there at the bottom like they're nothing. <laughs> I mean, even for the equipment guys, this was not a burden. This was actually exciting for them because. It, they Max joked it was like you know he's been in the, he's been with the Clippers now for 13 years I think eight years as the director and he said even I was getting an education in shoes because he has so many one on ones so many player exclusives he's like you see so many of these Kobe's and these GTs and he's like I've never seen these before. While this is an inconvenience at first glance, it still messes with the player's emotions in reality. Yes, they're millionaires, but trying to maintain your NBA career while moving across the country, that's not easy. Was there anyone you talked to who gave a little clearer picture on all this? Yeah, Norman Powell was terrific. I could have talked to him for 30 minutes. I think we talked uh, before the Clippers played in Boston recently. And Norman Powell, when he was traded from Toronto, was really the the first you know his first team he fell in love with them he won a championship with them i think as you know he was on the phone with his agent and fred van vliet and they were saying you know we, you're not going to get traded and fred van vliet's like I, i'll be so angry if you traded we don't want you traded 
And then he finds out he's traded, and and the, he said the the emotions immediately are he called it it's surreal surrealism. I think he said it's like surrealism. Like you don't you don't think it's real, you know. And then like it's a mix of emotions of like the unknown, what's next. Kind of scared. Start thinking, uh, uh, what's it gonna be like at the other team? Uh, why is there something that you could have done differently? Um, yeah, it was a mix of emotions. Uh, a lot of thoughts going through my mind, and uh, just sad, angry, upset. You know, um, Toronto was my first team. Yeah, you, know, you didn't want to leave. So he he basically gets to Portland, and then Portland they give him a con- a new contract. I think it's like a five year, ninety million dollar contract or something like that. And so he figures, I'm safe. I can I can now you know let, let's plant roots here in the Pacific Northwest. You might as well um, make an investment here and uh, make the most of uh, the time here. And literally, I picked out everything with my designer and uh, the night before all my furniture came in and then the next day I was traded. Oof. He literally had just settled down in this new home and he's traded the next day. He gets a call from his agent. His agent says, how do you feel about Los Angeles? Norman Powell played at UCLA. He's from Southern California. He's like, I love Los Angeles. What are you talking about? He's like, how do you feel about the Clippers? And he's like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, you know, the Clippers want to trade for you. They're going to trade for you. And so he's happy about that. But at the same time, he just settled down into his new home that he practically designed himself. So he moves to Los Angeles and he's with the Clippers. And he naturally, I mean, he's not going to go buy a new home. So he's staying at the Marina Del Rey Ritz-Carlton. Oh, nice hotel, right? I know where that is. Yeah. And so he's there and he's they hook him up with an executive suite. So he's got some space, but he's living out of, I think, five or six suitcases. He says he's got his shoes strewn out on the living room floor in front of his couch. He's basically like, his closets are overflowing with his clothes. He says he's gotten to the point where he's like, I'm doing, I'm going to the laundromats, different laundromats in Rain Del Rey. I'm like, Norm, why are you going to the laundromats? You're an NBA player. He's like, do you know how much dry cleaning is when you do that every day? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I can imagine, Norm, but I also don't have like a $90 million contract. But that's what I appreciate about Norman Powell. He was like a regular dude. Well, you know, as regular as an NBA player can be because one of the next things he says is, you don't really understand what it's like to live out of a hotel until like, you know, just like everyday little things. He's like, so I had two of my cars shipped to Los Angeles and they were in valet. And every day I would call valet and say, I want this car today that I would drive. Well, not long after he was traded, one of those cars, a Porsche Taycan, was wrecked. He says was wrecked by valet. And so he said he had to deal with that. So these are all things that players have to deal with that when they get traded, you know, Norm was even saying, like, I didn't want to eat room service every day. I ended up having to get, I think, you know, somebody prepping meals for him and stuff like that. But for a while, he's like, you know, you're you're eating out all the time. And he's like, and it's not healthy for you. And but what are you doing? You know, you're living out of this hotel room and, you know, trying hopefully to keep things as normal as possible. And one day your Porsche Taycan is wrecked in valet. Coming up, we look at some of the best and biggest moves from the trade deadline.
passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash today. That's Macy's.com slash All right, Ohm, let's take a look at what happened at the trade deadline or in the case of the Atlanta Hawks, what did not happen because after weeks of speculation, they ended up not trading away either Trey Young or DeJounte Murray. What's the plan in ATL? I kind of like what the Hawks did here because they're just like, we're not going to get what we want for DeJounte Murray. We can wait till the summertime and see what happens. Or you know what? At worst, we have a very good young player who we know is going to play well. And maybe if it's not exactly working the way we thought it was with Trey Young, let's just see. And I think the Atlanta Hawks in recent weeks have been winning a little bit more. And so, you know, and they're going to be firmly in the play-in. And, and I also think that's another factor of what I didn't mention earlier, or maybe why there wasn't as many trades as the trade deadline or as sexy of a trade deadline is that the play-in has really, I think, seduced teams into thinking we have a chance to make the playoffs we don't need to trade our guys. We don't need to bail. We don't need to do a complete rebuild because you know what? Look at what the Miami Heat did. You can go from the play-in and you can make a deep run. What about the Knicks, home? Their trade several weeks ago for OG and Anobi, something we chronicled right here on Daily in Detail, seems to have changed the momentum at Madison Square Garden and the Bing Bong community is back. They made another move at the deadline that got Kendrick Perkins excited. I was talking about the Knicks putting themselves in position and how they're actually tr contending right now, right? And adding these two pieces, when you add Bondanovich, when you add Alec Burks, the only missing thing that the, the only thing that the Knicks were missing was depth. And right now they're deeper than the Pacific Ocean. What are your expectations for them post deadline? Bing bong. All aboard the New York Knicks train. I really like the moves they did. I don't want to get ahead of myself, Clinton. I am old enough to know and remember what it was like to see the New York Knicks and feel it 
New York City, Manhattan, playoff basketball, NBA Finals basketball in June. There's nothing like it. There is nothing like playoff basketball in Manhattan, but in June, in the summertime, Knicks fans going crazy. I remember that. I was there in 1999 when they made that run with Latrell Sprewell and Marcus Camby and Allen Houston. And I want to see it again so badly for New York City. And this trade that they made, dare I say, they have a management team that knows what they're doing, that did not give up first-round picks, that managed to keep their stash of first-round picks for Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks, two guys that I think a lot of teams kind of wanted to add. Boyan Bogdanovich the year before, remember, mind you, there were a lot of teams that wanted him from Detroit, and it was going to require like a first-round pick to get him. And now you get Boyan Bogdanovich and don't have to give up a first-round pick? Incredible. If they can get their bigs back, they are decimated in the front court by injury. Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein just got hurt. They can get some of those guys back. Um, they are going to be very good. I like their chances. I, I think the New York Knicks, more than any other team, helped themselves in the, at the trade deadline and have positioned themselves to be able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and potentially get out. Okay. Were there any moves or non-moves that just did not make sense to you, Oh, I think with the Lakers, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. I understand where LeBron James is coming from and how, you know, the window is closing. The emoji of the little hourglass and the sand is almost at the bottom. Um, you always want to try to do everything you can to win a championship every year you get LeBron James. And LeBron James has somehow managed to defy Mother Nature somehow and Father Time. So you want to really want to take advantage of that. And they they didn't make any moves. And at the same time, I understand what they're saying. If they think they can get a superstar next in the offseason and keep their picks, then they probably should do that. I think another team that I was a little mildly surprised they didn't make a move was Denver. Not to anybody in the starting five, but their bench. I think I thought they could maybe upgrade their bench a little bit. Uh, but again, you got to give up something to get something, and you got to find a willing partner, and it can be difficult to to do that. So you know, I, I think that's why you kind of saw a lot of teams really didn't make some moves. I I do think one trade I did like. I liked Oklahoma City getting Gordon Hayward. If Gordon Hayward is healthy. I think he provides them not only with a veteran guy who has experience on a very young up-and-coming team, but this is a guy that can shoot from the outside. He can play make. He can play point guard in a pinch if you need him to. Um, I think he's going to be a very good addition for them. You mentioned earlier that some players that were moved on the deadline multiple times, but what about Pat Bev? You talked about how he was tweeting at guys because he wants to get on the court immediately. But since 2021, he's been on the Clippers, the Timberwolves, the Lakers, the Bulls, the Sixers, and now the Bucks. over the river and through the woods to grandma's house we go. How come he seems to wear out his welcome just as quickly as he is then wanted by another team? I mean, you saw it in the first game. Pat Bev was already barking at Brooke Lopez telling him where to be, um, I'm assuming defensively in a scheme or maybe even offensively where he needed to be on the court. Or and you just see Brook Lopez nodding. Those are things that I think work in the beginning. It gives your team a good jolt, especially some, a team like Milwaukee that's going to need the defense. But after a while, you know, Pat Bev, he's not the greatest shooter. 
He's not the biggest guy on the floor. He is going to hustle his ass off. He is going to scrap and claw, get into guys. He's going to try to make game-winning plays defensively, as we've seen him do in LeBron James with defensive stops. Um, but teams are always going to want a point guard that's bigger, who can score, who can do a whole bunch of different things. And, and you know, at the end of the day, you can only have so many defensive guys out there, but you know, can't shoot on the floor as well as you would like them to. And so I think that's what probably makes Pat Bev a movable commodity that teams will always um, value his defense and the leadership he brings and things like that and the hustle. But I think that's why you see Pat Bev on the move so much is because A, they value what he brings, but also B, eventually teams want, you know, a point guard that can do everything. Last thing I'll ask you, Om, let's say you were traded at the deadline. What are you bringing to your new destination? Am I a rich player or am I like a, like, am I a max player or am I, <laughs> am I a journeyman? Let's just say of the things I'm looking at on the wall behind you, do they all go? I see a Boba Fett head. I see multiple Boba Fett characters. I see an original Tyrannosaurus. I see a couple Sparty plushies and I see a bunch of kicks. Yeah, I would say that one of the first things I'm grabbing are probably, is maybe my my Sparty starter jacket from the 90s that I still have. I'm probably grabbing, like PJ, 100 pairs of shoes, as many as I can fit. I probably can always buy new clothes, but the kicks and maybe like some of the old school jackets that I can't get anywhere, things like that, they're coming with me. Well, I appreciate you browsing the shelves of the NBA with us today. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.